one of the things that someone on the team said to me was watching you made us realize that it was okay to ask questions and it was okay to push back and it was okay to want what we want and like and and you know i mean if if things are ultimately not possible that's fine but not to just accept what's told to us without pushing back and seeing what really is possible that warmed my heart just because you know watching them go from being sort of submissive and sort of like oh okay yeah if you say to being like no actually we really think that's important and no that formula is incorrect i know it's easier for you to for- to program that formula in but that is not the correct supply chain formula <laughs> and i felt like i had empowered them and that just made me very happy for me that's why that project was so impactful hello i'm rowena luke and you're listening to Aid Evolved. In this space, we'll be hearing firsthand the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to fighting poverty or delivering healthcare. People experimenting with the idea that technology might help us do this work better. As we learn about their inspiration and fears, their doubts and their triumphs, my hope is that we can also piece together a few lessons learned for those of us trying to do the same. Today, we'll be speaking to an old friend of mine, Joy Kamenyori. Joy's had a long career in digital health. Most recently, she was program director at the Center for Digital Health at John Snow, Inc., which most of us just call JSI. JSI is one of the largest public health firms, got thousands of employees and dozens of different offices around the world. And Joy played a key role inside of the global digital health unit. But this conversation is more about Joy although we do touch on a tiny part of JSI's supply chain work as we go. Joy and I chat about what it was like coming to the United States after growing up in Nairobi, Kenya. We talk about the struggles and the pitfalls of the computer science postgraduate education and how she was finally able to find her feet in this sector. I loved hearing about how Joy was able to overcome her own doubts and insecurities to gain confidence in her ability and expertise and then how she was able to build a career that allowed her to return to Africa and to share those life lessons with so many others. Here we go. I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya, and then I moved to the U.S. in uh, 2001 for college. So all of my formative years was spent um, in Nairobi. Oh, what was your impression of the United States (laughs) when you first got here? Oh, definite culture shock. I obviously grew up watching American TV and listening to American music. Um, so I thought that I was right. <laughs> I thought that I was <laughs> fully prepared for America and I wasn't. What's, what's something that you like saw or did or heard that you were like, that's strange and weird. I just love hearing how other people see this strange country. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, one of the... the <laughs> One of the biggest things for me that I was not prepared for was um, suddenly being a minority and walking. I remember I went to college outside New York City in Poughkeepsie, New York. And um, Uh I remember walking down the street in New York City, probably like six months into coming here and just having this moment where I was like, oh, my God, I am like. Like, there are not many other people like me on this street right now. That's scary. And it just, it, I just, I wasn't used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's not like anyone was being mean to me. It's not like, you know, like I was having any negative 
negative interactions. But it was just this this moment where I suddenly realized that I was different from a lot of the people around me and that I was, you know, there there were not many like me around at that moment in time and 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 that that was one that was one of the big culture shocks for me was 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 adjusting to being a minority. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I wish everyone would have the chance to feel what that's like. Especially the adjustment part, right? Like I think you know, there's a there's a little bit of a difference. I don't know. I didn't grow up as a minority, which is the point, right? Like I was so used to being one of the majority, and then suddenly being in a situation where you're a minority. I think I think it you learn a lot in that transition. Yeah. Yeah. No. You came here for college. What did you decide to study? So I came to the U.S. thinking that I was going to study computer science. I went to Vassar, which is in Poughkeepsie and is a liberal arts college. And I did end up majoring in computer science, but I also um, majored in economics. After that, were you thinking you might go be a programmer at some at some big tech company somewhere? No, I actually wanted to teach at college level. So my plan was to go to grad school and get a PhD and then and then go teach some young minds and make them computer scientists. What was it about teaching that drew you at the time? I've always I grew up in a house where education was really, really important. It was like Hmm. really emphasized as the way. Um, to make something of yourself and 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 in a country where education and you know for better or for worse education just just really makes a difference in 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 terms of what opportunities yeah. you have and so I just I wanted to be that person who made education better okay so you you were like you're geared up you're gonna go get your PhD not a small feat how'd that go <laughs> so I'm a dropout <laughs> Are you saying that with with pride? Are you saying that with... (laughs) with... I say that with mixed emotions, to be honest. So I went went to the University of Virginia and joined their PhD program. Within like probably the first couple of years, a year and a half of being in the program, I realized that while I really enjoyed coding and I enjoy I enjoyed like working with technology I like I think part of the reason that I had been able to enjoy it in undergrad was because I was at a liberal arts college so I was running around Mm. like you know all the other parts of my brain were being (laughs) were being filled (laughs) and suddenly when I was doing all computer science all the time I didn't I really yeah, and getting it. and doing a PhD, it's such a long, grueling, isolating, lonely. You know, you like sit in all of that. I'm sure it depends on on the, <clears throat> the discipline and such, but I I know a lot of my friends. You just sit in a lab by yourself for years. Yeah, trying to like yeah, trying to find that thing, that novel thing. Right, uh, and it can really wear you down over time. Absolutely, and 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 a huge part of getting a PhD is is your research, right? And yeah. I heard someone say once, and I one hundred percent agree that the P in PhD stands for that passion. makes sense. Yeah, and I quite honestly, none of the research topics that were being pursued by professors at the university um, in that department interested me. I, I don't think I can properly express how much of a crisis this was for me. Figuring out that actually <laughs> I did not want to be in a computer science grad program because 
you know, then you start thinking about what you're going to do after. And that's the other thing is your research topic as a PhD sort of pigeonholes you for the rest of your life. And then that's that's what you you are. And I was like, is this really what I want to be working on for the rest of my life? Yeah, no, I, I get you. And I imagine for anyone who's who's ever had that period in their lives of I'll call it quiet desperation or you get yeah. up, you work, you go to bed and you're like, and you do it again and again and again. Yeah. And you're like, why exactly. am I doing this? Exactly. And I would uh. walk home from school and I would call my sister who was in a PhD program at MIT oh. and loving it. Like just oh, no. so happy, right? And so, like, I hope she's very helpful in life. But that sounds like a terrible <laughs> Not a terrible sister, a terrible, ter- a terrible situation to be it in was, with a sister who is loving it. <laughs> it was quite the ju- juxtaposition, but in some ways it really helped me. I was like, this is what grad school is supposed to be, right? You know, I remember her saying to me once, like, grad school is not where you figure out what you oh. want. You go to grad school, like, having yeah. figured it out. And so she and I started in the same year, like, and she's just loving it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I, <laughs> and I would call her and be walking home from school and I'd be crying on the phone, oh, no. on the side of the street. I'm crying as I walk. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and finally, mm-hmm. you know, after at the end of the second year, when I was supposed to be signing up again, I was like, I'm, I'm just, uh, no, I don't want to do this. This isn't what I want to do. So then mm. I, I spent the next year sort of just wrapping that up, wrapping up all like the, the, the you know, making sure I had all the requirements to, um, to graduate with the, with the master's. And, and Ooh, I did. You made it out. Yeah. <laughs> freedom. <laughs> made <it> out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. What did you do with your newly found freedom? <laughs> what did I do? So I left. And again, I mean, I think when you're like, what, 25, 27, you don't really know what you want. You don't know what the real world and you've been in school all your life. Some of us are still figuring it out. (laughs) And you've been in school all your life. So I came out and I was like, I know that I want to do something that makes an impact. Yeah. And that makes an, you know, that, that like socially and. Um, awesome. obviously, you know, because of where I'm from, international development is important to me. And I was, you know, especially interested in education. So <clears throat> really wanted to work in international education. Yeah. So, you know, I spent a, spent a lot of time, like just trying to break into international education and, and with no success, right? Nobody knew <laughs> what to do with someone with a master's in computer science in, in, in development. like nobody. Eventually, this position came up. It was a business analyst position to um, work on a website that hmm. that like <clears throat> was a website that brought together information on shipments of contraceptives from different donors hmm. and just put it in one place so that instead of like having to like check with all the different donors who was sending stuff uh. where and when, you could just see it all in one um, in one portal. Position came up. I applied, and, and they needed a computer scientist. Yeah. And, you know, they put me through a rigorous uh, interview process and, and eventually hired me. Great. Awesome. So, Joy, you joined JSI. What do you do at JSI? <laughs> you know, I've done I've done many things at JSI. The, the way that I would currently describe uh, what I do is I, I mostly manage our, you know, public health, uh, sorry, our digital health implementations on our projects. So, um, and also, you know, provide advice on digital, on implementing digital health in our projects, um, help people think through how they can use 
digital and technology um, to solve the problems that they have in, in their projects and then, you know, help them manage that that implementation. That sounds very relevant for this podcast. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about uh, one of the one of the deployments or initiatives that you did during your time at JSI? I know you were at JSI for many yeah. years. Can you walk us through what one of the experiences was like for you? Yeah, sure. So I worked on updating a mobile-based supply chain tracking and replenishment system called the Early Warning System in Ghana. Uh, Rowena, you may be familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) I know a thing or two about this system. Just a little bit. But the story is about you. Yes. So um... So I'm happy to opine. So this this had been developed by Damagi, by you, and um, probably <laughs> five years earlier, and um, and now they 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 were trying. I could do much better now. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I will not take anything about said about the early warning system to heart. No, I mean it's totally, totally. <laughs> we can tear the whole thing apart. <laughs> I mean, I think those were those were early early efforts to use cell phones in in a more sophisticated way we were actually trying to interact with those with those phones right and gather information and use that information to make decisions two-way communication making it making it useful for the people they'd been using this for for five years and um, they were having some pains with it right so they asked me to to do an assessment of of the system so I went out and spent, you know, two weeks interviewing the, 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 the staff who were using the data at the central level, as well as interviewing like, you know, health facility staff who were um, who were sending the data to, um, you know, into the system. They would send essentially they would send stock levels and then the system was um, was supposed to uh essentially provide that information on like a dashboard so that people could know like this facility has too little of this and this other facility has too much of this other thing and like you know make make those kinds of decisions but the um the mm-hmm. the dashboards were not like super intelligent and so they basically were like how how can we use this better can you come develop like a set of requirements for how how to improve and update update the system and then we use so then like based on those requirements we we did an update of the system and I managed that so worked with Dimagi again and and worked essentially to to improve the system that was it, it was a very interesting and rewarding project for me what was rewarding for me uh, interestingly enough was watching our Ghana office team grow in terms huh. of their ability to talk about technology and to talk about what they needed and wanted from technology. When I first started engaging with them, they were very, Interesting. I would say, intimidated by by the technologists, right? By the vendor on the other side. And they, they would kind of just, right? That. They would just, they would kind of <laughs> just like, if a vendor said, no, we can't do that, they would say, okay. And, um, and I wouldn't. I, I just wouldn't stand for that because a like I would be like actually I'm pretty sure you can code that like based on my coding <laughs> background <laughs> I'm pretty sure 
Sandra, what we're asking you to do isn't that hard. Like, so are you just like, are you just being lazy? Like, are you just not, do you just not want to take the effort to figure out how to do that thing? And I was pretty, I was pretty yeah. demanding. I was actually a very demanding client. But I think it's great. I think it's good to have that, that confidence to ask for what yeah. you want, like in, in software and also even beyond software, you know, like when you, when, when people aren't afraid to ask, yeah. then it creates a certain energy, a certain urgency yeah to a project, which I'm sure you brought to the project when you came. Yeah. And when I was leaving, one of the things that someone on the team said to me was watching you made us realize that it was okay to ask questions and it was okay to push back and it was okay to want what we want. And like, and, and, you know, I mean, if, if (laughs) things are ultimately not possible, that's fine, but not to just accept accept what's told to us without pushing back and seeing what really, really is possible. Yeah. That warmed my heart just because, you know, watching them go from being sort of submissive and sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, if you say to being like, no, actually, we really think that's important. And no, that formula is incorrect. I know it's easier for you to (laughs) to program that formula in, but that is not the correct supply chain formula. (laughs) um, It just, it made me, I I felt like I had, I had empowered them and that just, that just made me very happy. For me, that's why that project was so impactful. Let me just call out one important piece of history that's happening in this conversation. The early warning system, EWS, was one tiny part of a much bigger thing that was happening in aid. It was part of USAID's global work to strengthen supply chains. Think about everywhere that USAID distributes HIV medication or malaria treatment or contraceptives. The vast majority of USAID's supply chain programs from 2006 to 2016 were managed by a single entity, the Partnership for Supply Chain Management, which was led by JSI, where Joy worked. We all thought JSI was a shoe-in to continue running this award indefinitely. But in 2015, the entire sector was turned on its head when USAID consolidated the supply chain work into the single largest contract it had ever awarded, $10 billion. You heard me, that's billion, not million. And it gave that contract, not to JSI, but to Chemonix. The upheaval was massive at JSI. With its thousands of employees and 50 offices around the world, the loss of the supply chain work wasn't the majority of JSI's global revenue, but it was close. You can imagine what the repercussions at JSI must have been. And this is part of the ebbs and the flows, the wins and the losses of the aid industry. It's hard for many in this space to make a plan beyond the next three to five year grant or contract. But now look at what's happening here with Joy in Ghana. Look at what's happening in the story that Joy is telling. Though this $10 billion grant was earth shattering in Washington, DC, in Ghana, It was still the same people doing the same work, just with a different title on the door. Let's have a look at how Joy's work affected those people. And I don't mean the work that she did building the software dashboard. I mean the work that she did teaching this team that the software is only as good as it helps them to do their work. I don't know about you, but it makes me think about the kinds of things that live on once the money is gone. 
thanks for saying that because you know when you're on the other side often you're like oh we did all of this stuff and then now it's gone right but that's definitely it's worth remembering that like at the at the country level a lot of those staff because they have such a specific skill set like they they do transition between between organizations and between projects and so you know the work that was done hasn't necessarily been lost which is it's a great reminder i asked joy whether there's anything about her upbringing or about growing up in kenya that has helped her in her work as a whole african colleagues feel more comfortable talking to me because i'm one of them right there's a little less of that power dynamic and so i right like so yeah i feel like that has been that has been that has been huge in, in my work is being able to to relate i do think working against that that power dynamic is a, is a big part of the challenge of this weird sector it is it affects it really everything is. the flip side is though i have to say one of the things that i i hope the impacts that i have is showing my fellow you know africans that you can push back to Americans that you don't like they see me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's just part of a, a general message that you have, which is it's about empowering people, whether it's you, whether it's others, whether you're you're in Africa or in America or whatever else to, to speak up, you know, for themselves, to, to be empowered, to like not not second guess or not doubt yourself and your qualifications. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that I really think that's important. And because I have spent, you know, pretty much half my life in both. Right. I feel like I don't have that intimidation factor. I don't think that I feel like it is okay to speak out. That's awesome. Never stop. My colleagues see that and yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, maybe we can actually say what we think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Say it. So yeah. Can I just ask a few last questions to wrap up our call? This is from our list of rapid fire questions. Uh, The first one is if you have any advice for young professionals who are interested in working in digital health. One thing that I would really want um, folks to do is embrace mentorship. My mentor, um, the woman I consider my mentor, um, she is someone that I I don't think I have made a major career decision without her input. Just, you know, just bouncing things off of her, talking to her about it. And I don't always agree with what she (laughs) says. I don't always no, I don't always um, follow her advice, but it's really important to have someone that you can go to um, to talk to talk through some of you know your bigger decisions because you know we don't see ourselves very clearly. <laughs> we tend to be very self-critical. So we tend, true. you know, um, you know, we tell ourselves stories. Uh, um, to borrow from something you said to me, right? <laughs> we tell ourselves stories. And um, it's often just really useful to talk to someone who sees you clearly and someone who who can provide like a, a, a more objective view of, of what's going on. And she was so instrumental in helping me figure out how to use this technical degree in a public health setting um, and, you know, reminding me that I had something to offer um, to this world, which for, for a while there in my early career, I, 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 was, I felt kind of lost and I didn't, you know, before digital health was like a term that people, ex- um, you know, accepted or spoke about, like I, I felt pretty lost. I was like spending a lot of time working on Excel sheets and I was like, what am I doing, you know? And, and she kind of was like, 
I know your skill set. I am also working in IT in this in in public health, and I know how to use you. And you know, and and it's just so instrumental in helping me to see that I had um, things to to offer, and continues to be instrumental in helping me to see that I have things That's to awesome. offer. Because sometimes when I'm myself up, she's like. <laughs> I would really encourage young professionals to to find one or four people that that they can talk to that see them clearly and that are able to you know to share their experiences uh, to help them you know as they try to navigate uh, as they try to navigate their careers. nice she sounds like an incredible woman and it's amazing what the perspective of a few extra years can give someone as they look on your life and share a little bit of how things might unfold for you in the years ahead wow Absolutely. I, I just have to say there's, there's, you know, as a woman in digital, in health, you know, there's, there's something just incredibly valuable about having someone who is also a woman in digital, you know, no longer in health, but, but who has, you know, been in this field and continues to work in IT anyway. So, you know, just having a woman, you know, that, that, you know, seeing someone like me, quote unquote, yeah. in, you know, in, at least in this way, who is, who's able to, to, to bring her experience to bear as I think through my different career decisions. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Joy. Do you have any requests for donors or policymakers who might be listening to this podcast? Yeah, I think one thing I, I, I really would like uh, policymakers and donors to do less is, um, is the application of one size fits all solutions or or the espousing of trendy things. For example, I think we, I honestly think we've done a lot of damage with the pushing of open source at, at any cost without fully, fully explaining to, to the countries that we're working with that open source doesn't mean free and that there there are always always all software is living and continues to have maintenance costs that must be um that must be accounted for and you know for a very long time open source open source open source open source was like the only thing that was acceptable to say. And there are some very real cases where sometimes it actually makes sense to buy that license so yeah. that you get the, the maintenance and support that you need. So things like that, I, yeah. I wish there was less of that. I wish there was less of just like latching on to the, the latest trendy thing to say and pushing it um, without uh, taking into account the individual circumstances. I think that's a really insightful comment. Um, is there a, a, a tool, technology, or product that you'd like to recommend? Ideally, one that you haven't personally been involved in endorsing or building or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of my favorite tools that I have, I haven't used in a while, but that I tend to go to every time I have like some sort of survey or data collection to work on is Survey CTO. Hmm. I personally, from my from my nerdy point of view, really enjoy it because it's not as bare bones as ODK. They've taken away some of the work, but if you want to, you can get down to that CSV file and you can like really hmm. customize to like get things the way you want it. And um, 
I really enjoy that. And I think it makes it very versatile because it allows, you know, it has like the the the, the UI and whatever that allows people who are not um, as tech inclined to design their their surveys. But then then it also has like that option for those of us who are more tech inclined to like get our hands dirty. So I, I really like it a lot. Nice. That's a great answer. Can you list uh, a gotcha, you know, a common implementation mistake that you see in the different projects that you've been a part of? Yeah, I'm going to go back to open source. (laughs) I I just I just think that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, just not really thinking, not thinking through thinking past that, like initial implementation and not thinking past, uh, you know, thinking that. All it takes is that initial development and that initial um, investment and not realizing that there are very real maintenance and um, costs that that if you want your software to continue to be useful to you five, ten years down the line, like you're going to have to like update it. You're going to have to, you know, um, pay for those servers or whatever. And you need to put resources towards having the right resources to help you do those things. Um, I think we don't think about that enough. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to offer a shout out to another mover or shaker in this field? Sure. Shout out to Olivia Velez. Olivia is one of those people who's led many lives in the digital health space, from leading major USAID programs to managing health informatics at ICF International. Most recently, she stepped into co-chairing the Global Digital Health Network. She has, I think she's totally unique because she... She is both a nurse and an informatician um, and has like the, the, the educational grounding in both and the practice in both. And I think that's super valuable. Not, you know, very few of us have both. Most of us have one or the other. Last question for you, Joy, is if you'd like to recommend a book, an article, a podcast, either related to this work or just for fun. You know, for fun, because I don't read about work outside of work. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had a lot of work this past lockdown year, so I don't blame you. Um, I just finished reading um, Billion Dollar Loser, The Rise and Fall of WeWork. It is a fascinating book. I want to read that. I'm going to add that to my list. I I didn't realize I'd written a book about that already. Yeah, it just came out. (laughs) That's like my kind of book. Yeah, it just came out late last year. Um, I just finished reading it. It, It's good. It is a a really interesting insight into the cult of personality and and into how, again, not thinking through things and just plowing ahead and and not really paying attention to the warning signs um, can be quite detrimental so it was a very oh, interesting book and plus who doesn't know we work right you know like <laughs> who wouldn't be interested in finding out what happened with that ipo <laughs> so like, it's true so yeah i i would recommend that to to anyone who just wants to to know what happened with we work thank you so much joe i really appreciate you being on the show today it's been a pleasure thanks for having me it's been fun if you like what you heard today spread the word tell a friend and if you didn't let us know how to make this better you can reach out to us on Twitter at 8Evolved or via email at podcast at 8 We'll see you next week.